January 26 in Australia marks the anniversary of the 1788 arrival of the first fleet of British ships in Port Jackson, New South Wales, and the raising of the flag of Great Britain at Sydney Cove by Governor Arthur Phillip. It is Australia Day, a public holiday that is celebrated by many. It is also the day that the three Beaumont children disappeared without a trace in 1966. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. so good i am so flipping excited it's a crazy case oh my so God. this is an interesting take because usually we give each other cases that we have never heard before like the other person has never heard it so this is gonna be interesting because you've heard this case it's what made me fall in love with disappeared cases so i'm just gonna like lay down the facts and we can talk through them as i go i'm done it's summer 1966 in south Austra- south australia it's Somerton Park, Adelaide, which is, like, this beachside suburb, and it's Glen Elk Beach. So, Somerton Park, just, a, like, a little side note, if you've ever heard of the crazy case, the, like, mysterious, unsolved case of the Somerton Man. That sounds familiar. Yeah, so, crazy case. We'll probably cover it eventually because I'm obsessed with it. It's absolutely something that keeps me up at night. Same place. So this place has some crazy disappearances and crazy unsolved mysteries. But anyway, so the family that we're focusing on is the Beaumont family. Jim, the father, is a taxi driver, and he's married to Nancy. They have three children, Jane, who is nine, Arna, who is seven, and Grant, who is four. Cute. The day that we are going to talk about is January 26th, 1966. The kids want to go to the beach on their own. Grown-ups. I don't need parents. Literally. The oldest is nine. and But you have to think it's 1966. It's a different time. Um, and it's Australia. It's a different place. Australia oh, is not as violent as America is. So. <laughs> yeah. But also, 1966 America, people were like, yes, go get milk at the corner store. You right. are seven. <laughs> you newborn child, go get me milk. Here is my debit card. Did <laughs> debit cards exist? I don't I even don't know. know. Anyway, so the kids are like, Mom, we want to go to the beach. We've done this a few times before. And the mom's like, sure. As long as Jane, the oldest child who is nine, watches out for the rest of you guys, you can all go together. So she gives them money for the bus and a small lunch. And she tells them to, like, come back home on the 12 p.m. bus. 12 p.m. comes and goes. And there's no sign of the kids. So at this point, she's like, maybe they just, like, missed the the first bus. They're going to take a late bus. 2 p.m. comes and goes. So she's starting to get a little worried. Now, in several sources, it does say that the husband is on this, like, business trip. Okay. He's a taxi driver, so I don't really know what that means. Like, maybe he took a trip that's, like, longer than expected or something. Yeah, that's I what I'm thinking. I'm like, do they have a convention it for taxi bus It's like, three drivers? days or something. And so oh. I 
don't know, but I also, I didn't check too yeah, much into I'm, it. So, I don't know. Okay. He's on this trip, but then his wife lets him know that this is, like, sketchy, so he comes home. Around 3 p.m., he gets home from work and finds that the kids are obviously still missing, so he drives to the beach to look for them. Now, he doesn't find anything, so he goes back to the house, picks up Nancy, his wife, and the two of them drive around town and check in with, like, friends and neighbors, and they're just kind of asking around, like, hey, did our kids show up? Did you see them? Like, what is going on? Do you maybe know where they are? Heartbreaker. Obviously, at this point, they're, like, scared, but they're not, like, thinking anything super sinister. You know, it's, like, three kids who went to the beach down the road. It's not really, like... We hear about this a lot with cases where someone does disappear and they're expected to be there a certain time. And it always comes to this rationalization afterwards, mm-hmm. you know? And we jump to being, like, oh, my God, why aren't they doing more? But it's, like, in that moment, they're not thinking the worst. It, they're it's, thinking like, cool like, it, you know? They're like, thinking, like, oh, my f- kids they just went off and they just went to their friend's house or something when they were supposed to be home like you know what i mean like they're not really jumping to these crazy conclusions yet but still they find nothing none of their friends know where the kids are nobody has any idea so obviously now they're like okay go and they go to the local police and they alert them about the kids disappearance So at this point, I don't really know what time it is. It does feel like a long time to, like, suspect your kids are missing and just not call the police, right? I'm crazy. We know that. And (laughs) I feel like 12.05 would happen and I'd be on the phone with the police. Like, I just don't know where my kids were. They were supposed to be home at 12. Uh, You'd be at the station already being like, can someone do a job, please? Literally. (laughs) Like, help me. So I am a little concerned about the time passing, but also, you know, it was the 60s. It's literally a completely different time we cannot wrap our heads around. Oh, of course. So the police, unlike anything I've ever heard of, act immediately. Shock. (laughs) They are great, and they just do as much as possible as soon as possible. Okay, well. Cheers. Mm Mm-hmm. They literally put together this extensive search party covering the entire beach and the surrounding areas. The police then begin to monitor the airport, railroads, and interstate roads in case of, like, kidnapping or trafficking. Before long, the entire country knows that these kids are missing. Did they put something in the coffee this morning? Like, Like, this is so unheard of. Right. I love it. Just these basic You love to hear it. Yeah. After some time, a woman comes forward and tells the police that she had seen and spoken to the children close to a nearby marina. Hmm. Now, I was proud of the police before, but here I am giving them an actual medal because they straight up drained the marina to check for the kids. They did the most. The most. (laughs) They didn't just send divers. They drained the marina. They said, "Uh uh-uh, we're cutting to the chase. See, stuff like this, I love, but I'm like, you must be out of your mind if you Who paid for that? Who paid for that? Who? But also, good. You guys have the money. Anyway. Right. So, at this point, they're starting to put their heads together. The kids all together would have had 17 items on their persons. Not them counting the belongings. They they fully did. They were like, listen, Nancy, what did your kids take with them? And she's like, let's see, a one coin, two coin... Uh, a purse, a satchel, like a all tissue. the things. She's oh saying all of the things they could possibly have. It came to 17 items. 
the police were not able to find one of them. Leading them to believe this was an abduction. There's no way kids can go missing without a trace like this, you know? I mean, especially for kids, they would have dropped something. Exactly. Like, it's an adult that doesn't want to be seen. I get them not leaving anything behind. But kids are so, like, flimsy when you move them. Yeah. You're pulling a kid where they don't want to go. Their their bones don't exist anymore. <laughs> they're, they're just, just like floppy. Yeah. And their stuff is going everywhere. You know, you expect there to be some trace. Yeah. So the police start to interview many of the locals in search of like some clues or witnesses. Their main lead becomes this. One woman said she saw the children playing on the lawn close to the beach around 11 a.m. She noticed a man, likely in his 30s, first watching them from afar, and then the man decided to join the kids. Never trust a man. To the woman, it seemed like the kids were comfortable with him and that they knew the man. So she literally didn't think anything of it. He was described as tall, like around six feet, slim, blonde, and tan. He was wearing a blue Speedo-style swimsuit, and he had this blue towel with him. Now, the woman mentioned that, like, he did seem to be very familiar with the kids, um, and he even, like, helped the girl, she says, put her clothes on. And then he went to change, and the children waited for him on the beach, and then they all left together. Uh, I mean... If this is true, I mean, the police said this was their main um, lead. That is so scary to think about. Mm -hmm. Rather than just being a random thing that maybe this was something that was premeditated and planned. Or someone they knew. No, really. Like, two other women reported seeing the children around midday with a man matching this description. They all said it didn't look unnatural and that the kids weren't frightened. So, like, at this point, I'm thinking, and the police are thinking, like... That man has either approached them before the other times they were at the beach by themselves Mm -hmm. or told the kids that he knows their parents or he literally is someone that they already know. Which I could totally see happening. I mean, with two people corroborating it and saying that, yes, this this did indeed happen with the same person. I mean, I can't help but think that they did know him and he Mm -hmm. maybe... I don't know. I don't want to speculate whether, now. I feel like it's way too early, but I'm no, just, like, digging whether, a hole in my whether brain. Whether he knew them through, like, he made his own acquaintance with them, or if, like, he did know their parents and then he knew them. Like, either way, no kid is just super comfy leaving with a guy they've never met before. Exactly. So the police also go on to interview this local bakery employee who said that the children had visited the shops, like, many times before. On the day of the disappearance, the children went into the shop and bought a meat pie and some other pastries. And I guess they had never bought a meat pie before. So the... (laughs) That is so me as a kid. That's so And the employee's like, hey, you, uh, with the meat pie, that looks sus. And they're like, don't mind me and my meat pie. I don't... Like, nine-year-old. And like a bunch of kids, just like we'll get away get the from meat me. Pie and call it a day, right? No, but so she literally was like, "Hey guys, you've never done that before. Why are you getting a meat pie?" Yeah, and they literally said it was quote a pie for the man. They also paid 
with um a one dollar note in like australian dollars this is interesting because their mother had only given them coins that day so they didn't actually have notes on their pocket and on their person and as you can remember they were sent to the beach with lunch so they really didn't have to be buying anything except for bus fare so why like i understand them buying pastries little kids who want sweets why would they be buying a meat pie they had lunch already so naturally it seems like the man that they were with has given them the money about nine months after the disappearance a woman told the police that the same night as the tragic event they saw two girls and a boy entering an abandoned house in the neighborhood with a man later she saw the boy walking by himself but the man caught up with him and took him back into the abandoned house they left by the next morning um, and because of her delay in reporting this, however, the police, like, never searched the house. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I was like, hello? Um, first <laughs> of all, what possessed her to wait that long to report something like that? As sketchy as that. It's not even like, like, that's like children, you know what I mean? Like, when it comes to reporting what you saw in a children's missing case, what do you have to lose by reporting it? Nothing. Like, like you don't look sketchy, you didn't do anything, so report it. But also, I'm like... What if there was still evidence there? Why would the police not check it, no matter how much later it would have been? I mean, you're if you if y'all are draining an entire, they're just like gonna check it. What if the kids' bones were in there? Like you don't know how long it had been. Like there could still be some severe things like that, that are left behind. I don't. No, I'm sure something might have been there, and had they checked, we could have didn't verified that. They didn't even bother. I'm like, y'all took the time to drain a whole lake, and you're telling me you don't want to take the little bus drive down to the abandoned building. I don't get it. I don't get it. They did so much, and then they burnt themselves (laughs) out, and they were like, we don't have time. Oh my god. So the family was eventually so desperate to find their children, they literally hire a clairvoyant. Now this man is supposedly very famous. It's a Dutch man named Gerard Crosset. So they actually had to, like, get help from a wealthy friend of theirs to swing it. Okay, not them pulling in the reinforcements. They're like, listen, I don't care what you pay. You gotta help us. And the friend's like, "Mm, a clairvoyant? I'm in. (laughs) That's me with money. (laughs) Crosset claimed that the children's bodies were buried under concrete in a nearby warehouse. The owners of the warehouse eventually agreed to have the site dug up, and they found nothing. So I hope that friend didn't pay too much for that guy. Yeah, and if he was a dud, an absolute dud. Hope they got a return. Yeah. So let's move on to talk about the suspects. The first suspect that I think is worth noting is Harry Phipps. Harry is a local business owner living in a house a few meters away from the beach. He became a suspect in 2013 because his 15-year-old son claimed that he saw the three kids in the yard of their home the day that they disappeared. He also matched the physical description of the man that was last seen with the siblings. Now, two workers also came forward saying that they received payment to dig a big hole in the Phipps factory yard only a few days after the disappearance. Investigators did perform a search of the factory on two occasions, um, even using an excavator and, like, powerful radars, but they found nothing. I mean, it sounds like a really good suspect. 
Yeah, definitely. And, but also, like, okay, they found nothing, but my thoughts here are, like, if you put the kids somewhere and you thought that you might be a suspect eventually for it, it would be smart to hire people to dig somewhere that you didn't put the kids, like, as a red herring. Yeah. Because knowing that they would come forward to the police and the police would go and check it out and come up with nothing, it would make the police be like, oh, well, we're not going to look into that guy we already did and it, nothing happened. Yeah, it would take them off his radar. So it almost feels like to me, like, I don't know if that completely, like, takes well, him out of the game for me. Definitely not That it me. wasn't in that one spot. I just feel like we should have checked all his spots, but whatever. Our next suspect is Bevan Spencer von Einem. Well. Yeah, quite a name. That's a name. Yeah. It's a mouthful. Now, he was already serving a life sentence in 1984 for the murder of a 15-year-old. But apparently, he bragged about having abducted three children from a beach a few years back to the other inmates in prison. He claimed that they he took them home to, quote, perform experiments on them. However, one of them died during a surgery, so he decided to kill them all. He claimed to have dumped their bodies somewhere south of Adelaide. I mean, just trash human being. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that is true or not... Throw away the key to his cell. He is still considered a potential suspect to this day. However, there has been, like, not enough substantial evidence to convict him of it. So it's kind of just, like, an open thing. Yeah, because then we do hear a lot about people who do make these false claims. Right. I I mean, you get bored in prison. Right. So I can't imagine... (laughs) People not hearing these stories from, like, outside and being like, oh, yeah, I, 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 I actually walked the dog that day, so I was there and yeah, I did it. no, they're, they're uh, out of their minds, off the rails, unhinged. <laughs> Give me another one. <laughs> Rogue. Absolutely berserk. That <laughs> crazy. Us drinking wine. <laughs> All of us. On his bull. <laughs> I'm done. My last suspect um, that I think is notable is Arthur Stanley Brown. Now, Arthur was charged in another murder case of two sisters in 1970, but he never received a conviction for those murders because he was deemed unfit to be tried after being diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's. He simply, like, matched the description of the man who was with the kids that day but the detectives never really had more on him, so I feel like Phipps is, like, a better fit for it. But, like, you know, I'm not ruling anybody out because... I know, especially with, like... Anybody who's blonde and tall is on my radar. Right. And, I mean, with cases like this that do go cold and then some of them are lucky enough to be fully closed after, like, they end up finding the guy, mm-hmm. it's always the person you least expect. No, oh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm not fully ruling him out so over the years jim and nancy actually received many letters two years after the incident uh they received three like particularly bizarre ones um jane the eldest daughter who is nine years old had allegedly wrote two of the letters the letters said that a man on the beach took them but that they are now living happily in his care the abductor allegedly wrote the third letter himself and claimed that he took the kids to look after them, but if they could find an adequate meeting spot, he would return them. Obviously, Jim and Nancy are at their wit's end, and they're just, like, agreeing to anything. Of course. So they agreed. 
they brought an undercover detective with them to meet the abductor. Because there are no fools. Yeah, they're smart. The person never met them, however, and then sent a letter to them saying that he was going to keep the kids because he had a change of heart because he felt betrayed by the presence of the detective. I mean, and okay, so at first when I first heard this case and I heard that, I was like, okay, this could totally be someone messing with the family. Mm -hmm. But because he knew specifically of the presence of a detective, I'm like, how true is this or is he just close enough to them or the case to know that that's what had been planned all along? Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. Initially, the police were thinking the same thing. Those letters seemed extremely authentic. However, 25 years later, with the help of new forensic technology, they were able to determine that the letters were just a f***ed up joke by a deranged teenager. They never also, the cherry on top, they were never able to charge him either because too much time has passed since the letters were written. Rot. I mean, just rot. You wish he could, but they don't charge him with anything. It's absolutely crazy. And I also cannot imagine being the parents and holding out hope for 25 years. Yeah. Or even like, okay, obviously it's not the best letter you've ever gotten to like have a, a letter from your daughter being like, I'm living with someone else now. Just knowing that your daughter's not dead somewhere, that letter, like, getting a letter that says, like, hey, mom and dad, I'm alive and I've been taken care of, I don't know, like, their heart must have been torn in so many different directions so fast, like, they at first really thought, like, oh, good, at least if our daughter is not with us, she's somewhere and she's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they find this out, and then now it's like, what do we believe? Where is she? And we don't have any answers. Another thing worth noting is that in February 1967, a year after the disappearance, a girl who looked like a mirror image of Jane, the oldest child, appeared in the studio audience of a show called Pied Piper. It's like a children's show. People reached out to the police and inquired if Channel 10 had a list of the audience, but ultimately it, like, didn't really pan out to give any solid answers. Apparently, according to the psychic detective and best-selling author Scott Russell Hill, you know, the only reason I'm, like, I I sound like a crazy person, I'm like, according to the psychic detective, (laughs) he actually was a childhood playmate of the Beaumont children. Okay, so he has some credibility. He does have some credibility. He said, quote, there was some kind of investigation and everyone in the studio audience could be accounted for except for that one girl. Stop. Channel 10 was going to give her a prize, but she had given a false name and address. And I also love how people reached out to the police and they're like, that looks like. Six people who knew Jane well including her own mother, were convinced it was her. Like, convinced it was her. And my thing is, like, okay, that is her. Where's the kidnapper? He just sent her by Mm -hmm. herself to the studio audience. I don't know how this show works. Maybe it's just kids in the studio audience and the parents are behind doors or something. Yeah. But what? It's crazy to me. 
Now, Scott also says, Scott, the um, psychic psychic detective (laughs) that I mentioned, he also says, quote, My father, who knew all of the Beaumont family very well, was taking a shortcut to beat Australia Day traffic. When he saw the children standing on the corner of Augusta and Durham streets in Glenelg at 1.30 p.m., they were with three other people. A thin-faced blonde stranger, a strapper he recognized from one of the local racing stables with shoulder-length hair, and a middle-aged woman wearing a pale blue patterned dress. This is still his quote, by the way. I know I, like, botched this a little, but... (laughs) Dad was surprised they were with another woman, not their mother, Nancy. He did report it to the detectives at the time, but there were so many sightings, not all of them were followed up with. To his dying day in May 1982, my father swore black and blue it was the Beaumonts he had seen. I mean, that's just such a powerful statement. I mean, to still stand by that Mm -hmm. and being like, no, I know what I saw, even though it was this huge holiday. They were there. To think, like, also, like, if he's friends with the Beaumonts, you don't, like... It's I don't know, like, e- people that I'm friends with, if I saw them on the street, I'd know whether it was them or not. Agreed. Because so, you've seen them before. Yeah, it's not for like a me, first... it holds a lot of credibility, you know? He said, quote, These are real people, not just grainy black and white photos from 1966. Okay. <laughs> okay! Setting us straight. The sass. Literally. Jane, Arna, and Grant were my friends with personalities of their own. Jane was highly the intelligent mother hen who wanted to be a teacher. Arna was more reflective, and Grant was a little tearaway. I will never forget them. Now, Nancy and Jim stayed in the house for years, hoping that somehow their children would find their way back home. They were honestly unable to move for so long because they were just hoping that their kids would knock on their door one day and they didn't want their kids to knock on that door looking for their parents and not find them there but eventually it just became too much and the couple decided to separate and move away from their house nancy passed away in 2019 with no closure and the beaumont children's case is still open to this day Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and you can follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.